Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Mark Litwack is an entertainment attorney based in Los Angeles, California. His practice includes work in the areas of copyright, trademark, contract, multimedia law, intellectual property, and book publishing. As a producer's representative, he assists filmmakers in arranging, financing, marketing, and distribution of their films. He also serves as an expert witness in entertainment industry disputes. Mark is the author of six books, including Real Power, The Struggle for Influence and Success in the New Hollywood Courtroom Crusaders, and deal-making in the film and television industry. And Carol, I understand Mark is also a donor to your Roy Dean Film Grant. Yes, Claire, we're so honored to have you, Mark. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. So uh, your information right now on distribution is the talk of the town. Filmmakers love what you're sharing. So we really want to know more about distribution because every word in the contract has meaning. Some of us know and some of us don't know. So I really uh, appreciate all the work that you've done and the information you're sharing. So let's start with understanding the term domestic when it is used in the distribution of independent films. Most of, most of us assume that that means the United States, but I don't think it does. So can you explain what domestic means in a distribution agreement? Um, yes, the domestic or domestic rights refers to uh, North American rights. So it's the U.S., Canada, and their respective uh, territories and possessions. And um, in the film world, um, the world is divided basically into two large territories, domestic, which is North America, and foreign, which is everything else. So it's, it's, a, you know, it's a view from, from the industry, from the United States, where that, that's how the world is divided up in regard to uh, slicing and dicing and selling various rights to films around the world. So, but and you also were saying that if you're not aware of what constitutes uh, domestic, you could uh, give up or you could lose something if you don't have Bermuda or you don't have certain places included. So, you do you? How can you find out all the places all the, that are included in the word domestic? All the countries. Well, Bermuda is is an island out in the Atlantic. It's a, a former uh, British colony. It's it's not it's not part of uh, domestic. Um, it, domestic is is North America. However, sometimes when you make a deal with a company that distributes its programming by satellite, they have a certain satellite footprint, and they don't have the ability to. Um, uh, pick and choose which countries can receive the signal and which ones can't. It's everyone within the fo- footprint. So sometimes when you're doing a deal, um, the company may may want certain rights. And so often when it comes to the Caribbean basin, 
which is where this often arises, we make the rights there uh, non-exclusive so that if you did a deal with, you know, um, HBO and it was in their footprint, it wouldn't necessarily preclude you doing another deal um, with a different uh, company that might include some of the islands in, in the Caribbean. And, and Bermuda is also in, in, that, in that footprint, even though they're not in North America. So it can get it can get very complicated when you're when you're divvying up uh, territories around the world. For instance, when a German company buys German rights to a film, it often includes the right to distribute it within Germany. But they also often acquire German-speaking Swiss rights because Switzerland has a number of different languages, and there, there are people in Switzerland who speak German. And so often, the company buys the rights not only to Germany. But but German speaking Swiss rights as well. So the, the, so the moral of the story is you have to pay close attention when when you're divvying up the rights because if you make a deal and the rights granted are too broad, it could preclude you from doing another deal. So if you if you gave the German company all rights in Switzerland, not just German speaking rights, that that would preclude you from doing a different deal in in Switzerland. Right. So how do we know all of this? We we really have to have an attorney who understands um, this this world as it's laid out in the distribution agreements and understanding footprints and satellites. So um, so that means you you have to have an attorney read the contract and tell you what's going on, right? Well, you know, uh, making a film is an incredibly uh, challenging endeavor. To be a successful filmmaker, you have to know something about writing and drama and acting and cinematography and many, many different disciplines that go into making a film, in addition to having very good communication skills to be able to work with your collaborators. And most filmmakers, even even very talented filmmakers, devote an enormous amount of time to perfecting their craft and learning how to make the film. And most of them don't spend a lot of time learning about the business side of the industry and the distribution side. So often what they do is for international rights, they contract with what's called a foreign sales agent. And a foreign sales agent is a type of distributor. It's basically an international distributor. And a foreign sales agent will take the filmmaker's film to the major film markets like Berlin, Cannes, and AFM. And these markets are like a trade show where buyers from all around the world congregate and they screen films and they uh, haggle and, and, and license films to show in their home countries. And the foreign sales agents are usually quite sophisticated and knowledgeable about how to best uh, uh, allocate rights to maximize revenue for the filmmaker and for themselves. So, yes, I can understand that. Uh, I knew David Fasile, and he he would look at a contract and, and say, oh, this is juicy, and look here, this has to come out, and that has to go in. I mean, he'd been doing it so long that it was second nature, and he really loved what he did. So finding a good foreign sales agent would be a benefit to to filmmakers, wouldn't it? Uh, it's it's very important, and, and, a foreign, and there's, there's more than 200 foreign sales agents. Many of them are based in Los Angeles, but some are based in, in Europe and, and New York and other places. Um, and um, the problem with the foreign sales agents is that they provide a very valuable service um, if they're honest um, and they know what they're doing. Um, the problem is that some of them are not very honest, and there's a whole history of lawsuits and arbitrations against 
foreign sales agents who didn't properly account to their filmmaker clients and remit to them their share of revenues. So one has to be very careful in selecting a foreign sales agent and do one's due diligence and make sure you're dealing with a reputable, honest uh, company. And to do that diligence, uh, is there any online place to go, or, or do you, uh, how do you do that? Well, there, there are some online sources. Of course, you can always just Google a company, and sometimes you can find out information. Uh, IFTA, the International Film and Television Alliance, which is the organization that runs AFM and is sort of the trade group for the independent producers and distributors and sales agents of the world, they have an arbitration service, and they post summaries of arbitration awards, and anyone can go to their website, and you can see uh, the cases that have been handled and a summary of the award. And if you go to their site and you see that a sales agent you're contemplating doing business with has been re- repeatedly um, uh, arbitrated against by filmmakers claiming they haven't been paid and loses, that's, that's sort of a red flag. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean that, that the that the sales agent was wrong and the filmmaker was right, but I would say if there's a bunch of decisions against against the sales agent, I would be very cautious about proceeding with that particular sales agent. In addition, probably okay. the, the best mm-hmm. way to do your due diligence is to talk to other filmmakers who've dealt with that sales agent, especially filmmakers who've been in business with the sales agent for a few years, so they have a bit of a track record and they can evaluate a sales agent, and you simply call up these filmmakers, and they're really usually not very hard to find. If you go on IMDb Pro, or or even if you just ask the sales agent, you know, or go to the sales agent's website, you can often figure out who the producers are, and talk to them and say, I see that you made a deal with so and so, you know, sales agency. Can you tell me about your experience? Did they live up to their promises? Did they pay you on time? You know, did did they do everything they promised to do? And that that will be very important because the one thing about sales agents is they tend to be consistent. And the ones that are bad are consistently bad to everyone. And the ones that are good tend to be consistently good. So talking to another filmmaker who's done business with the sales agent is perhaps the best way to do your due diligence and figure out what, what you're dealing with. Great. All right, good. Okay, now let's go to another term, and that this is the term distributor. When you find that in a distribution agreement, um, what does that mean? Well, distributor is a very uh, broad term. It encompasses a whole bunch of different types of companies. But let me take a step back and say that um, in the chain of going from an idea to watching a movie in a theater or on your TV, the producer is the person who usually creates the product. Uh, the producer is the one who assembles the team, raises the financing, hires the people, and along with the you know director, who's the major, usually the major creative uh, uh, entity, um, uh, create the movie and and essentially manufacture the movie. The distributor is the one that gets it out there, you know, in front of viewers. There's different types of distributors. A theatrical distributor distributes the film to theaters, okay? Theaters or or exhibitors, as they're often referred to, um, have a location, a venue, maybe it's a multiplex with multiple screens where people can come and watch a movie, you know, in the theater. So there's this chain of of distribution, and and the distributors is 
primarily in charge of marketing and, and, and shipping the film to the theaters and then collecting the money from the theaters, which is often not an, an easy task, you know, by the way. So that's what a distributor does. The, the vast majority, usually 90% of the cost of marketing the film, taking out advertising, promoting the film, getting people to be motivated to get into their car to drive to the theater is borne by the distributor, and they come up with that marketing campaign. Sometimes distributors also are finance the production of a film, and, and other times the distributor doesn't see the film until it's completed, and maybe they, they watch it at Sundance and decide to acquire distribution rights to it. So that would be a theatrical distributor, but there's also TV distributors, there's home video distributors, and some of the home video distributors also serve as aggregators where they help market the film to video on demand and SVOD and often other types of new media. The, the, the distribution world has become very complex because there's many, many different ways nowadays to watch a movie. At, at one time, you know, if you wanted to see a movie, your only choice, you know, was to go to the theater. Um, then television came about in the 1950s, and people had that option. But for many years on television, you had, you know, a limited number of channels. Nowadays, people have uh, TVs and cable TV and satellite TV where they have over a thousand different channels to choose from. In addition, they could subscribe to Netflix and have a, another large library of films to choose from. They could subscribe to pay cable like HBO. There's many, many different options, and people have many, many choices of, of how to spend their time. And in fact, part of the problem in, in, in getting attention to your film is that you're competing against so many other alternative films, television programs, and other activities, including video games. Absolutely right. There's a lot of competition, and there's a, and it is getting harder and harder to get people out of their comfort of their home and into the theater. So uh, the distributors have a big job on their hands to promote that film and make it so special. So the, the term distributor then means a lot. You really need to understand all uh, that it means when you are signing that contract, right? Well, you need to understand what type of distributor it is. It, it, uh, simply calling yourself a distributor doesn't doesn't tell the filmmaker much. I mean, there are some distributors who acquire a film, perhaps at a film festival, and they say they're a theatrical distributor, but they do a very perfunctory release in just a handful of theaters and basically make their money on the ancillaries, home video and, and, and TV. Um, there's there's other distributors who you know who can distribute a film to thousands of, of screens. Um, there's some distributors who are basically just home video distributors. They never release a film into theaters. They just release it on DVDs and, and Blu-ray discs. There's other distributors who are new media distributors. And then there's foreign sales agents, which are basically international distributors. They're essentially middlemen who help a filmmaker license their film around the world because the average filmmaker doesn't know how to go about selling the Turkish rights to their film. They don't know who the Turkish buyers are. They don't know what a reasonable price is to ask for their film. They don't know how to make delivery to Turkey and to make sure they get paid. So the sales agents you know, are international distributors, but most of the sales agents don't own a single theater, a, a single TV station, or, or, or a home video label, but they are, they are distributors. So distributors encompasses a wide variety of different types of, of companies and it's important for the filmmaker to know what you're dealing with because in many instances if you give 
the distributor what they want, which is usually a very broad grant of rights, they're going to sub-distribute some of those rights. You know, the, the company that you license your film to in Germany, maybe they're primarily a theatrical company, they're going to, they're going to license it to theaters, you know, and then they're going to go through other intermediary companies to license it to TV or home video. And that's not necessarily bad, but you need to understand, you know, who you're dealing with, and you need to make sure that if there's multiple distributors, you know, in each taking a distribution fee and expenses out of the revenue stream, that you're at the end of the day going to get a fair portion of that revenue stream because you created the film, and without the film, there is no revenue stream. Exactly. That's the main thing, to get the revenue stream, to get something. Uh, right. Right. Now, so you were just talking about a home video deal. You also, in some of your talks, have mentioned a home video deal known as a sub-label deal. Could you tell us what that is? A sub-label deal is, is basically when two companies share the distribution uh, function. Um, uh, Lionsgate has a whole bunch of sub-labels, and um, uh there's nothing inherently wrong with a sub-label deal, but a lot of times filmmakers don't realize what the deal is and, 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 and what the different companies are taking out of the revenue stream. So in a typical sub-label deal between a company and its, its parent company, Lionsgate, and, and these are often, actually I probably shouldn't say it's a parent company because they're separate independent companies, but basically they divide up the activities. The sub-label is the company that, that is in charge of acquiring the film, trying to find good good product, and coming up with the marketing campaign. And Lionsgate, you know, is the company that does the physical distribution of the film and the collection of money, you know, from the theaters. And so it's sort of a partnership. And the only problem is that in many instances on these sub-label deals, the sub-label company is taking a distribution fee and Lionsgate is taking a distribution fee and they're both recouping expenses and so you need to make sure that that it's a fair deal for the filmmaker and a lot of times filmmakers make a deal with the sub-label and they see the sub-label is well, taking let's say a 25% distribution fee and recouping expenses and the expenses are capped and it seems like a good deal but what they don't understand is that before any money comes to the sub-label a, a, a fair portion of it is deducted and taken by Lionsgate. So it may not be such a good deal. I see. Because, well, if you're saying 25%, they could be double 25% or even more when you add expenses. That's right. So if, if Lionsgate is taking a 25% distribution fee and recouping its expenses, and then the amount that it remits to the sub-label the sub-label considers its gross income, and the filmmaker is sharing in that after the sub-label takes a 25% distribution fee. Now 50% of the revenue is going to distribution fees, and maybe it's not such a good deal compared to doing a deal with a company that does it all. Exactly. So you really have to watch that. So that's known as a sub-label deal. So it's very important to consider that on a home video deal. Well, now, you've said, and many independent filmmakers are surprised at the amount of effort and skill required to secure an equitable distribution agreement, but but tell us how you think it's best to get into a distribution deal. Well, the, the, the first thing, of course, is it's, it's important to make a good film. Um, if you don't make a good film, you know, that's desirable to distributors, I'm not sure there's anything, you know, that you can really, you know, do about it, but... 
what's really a shame is that sometimes filmmakers make a good film and yet they they um, crash on the rocks of of distribution because they don't understand you know how it works. So the most important principle, assuming you make a good film, is to bring it to the market in such a way that you create competition for the film among competing different distributors who want to bid on your film. Because usually the only way you get a good deal is when you have multiple distributors who want it. Distributors who are in existence today tend to be uh, conservative, savvy companies. They're really generous distributors have pretty much all gone out of business. And so they want to get your film um, on terms that are most advantageous to them, where they get the maximum amount of fees and expenses. Um, and, and only if you say no are you probably going to be able to get a better deal. So it's not that difficult to say no to an offer from Lionsgate if you know at the same time you have an offer from Sony Classics that's even better. It's very easy to say no. So what you need to do is orchestrate the release so that you create competition. And that means you know screening it to all the potential buyers more or less at the same time. One of the best venues to screen it would be at a major film festival like Sundance or Toronto or Telluride where the, the distributors attend the film festival, and if they like something, a bidding war can break out, and you can end up you know, with a very good deal um, uh, for the filmmaker. The, the worst way to, to do this is to uh, allow uh, distributors to see your film before it's done, um, to come into the editing room. And what happens is a lot of filmmakers, when they're in the final stages of completion, completing their film, they start getting phone calls from acquisition executives who've heard about their film. And these acquisition executives are always very enthusiastic because that's the type of person they hire. And they call up the filmmaker and say, we've heard about your film. We think it's you know, going to be wonderful. Can we come in? Can we see a rough cut? And, you know, and that's probably a mistake to let them see the film because you're going to face a dilemma if you get an offer or if you don't get an offer. If you, if you get an offer and none of the other di- distributors, or the other competing companies haven't seen the film, this company that, that's interested in your film is not going to give you five months to decide whether you want to go with them. They're going to say you have seven days and, and here's our offer and you know, either accept it or reject it. And so you're operating somewhat in the dark because you don't know what the competition is willing to pay for your film. So it's not a good idea. And if you if you let them in to see your film and they don't like it, because the film community and the acquisition community is so small and they all interact with each other on almost a daily basis going to screenings, you know, once the Weinstein company sees your film and they pass on it, before you know it, everyone in town knows knows that, and it may discourage some people to even come to see the film because because they passed on it. So you you need to be very shrewd and and release the film in a way that enhances competition. Um, and you need to have a plan, and, and uh, you need to enhance everything about the film to, to generate that kind of competition. And that often means not only finishing the film in the best format possible um, and screening it uh, uh, to the people, but also creating a trailer and, and uh, creating a one-sheet or a, a poster you know, with good artwork, um, because you make it much easier to get a deal from a distributor if you're basically handling them the film on a silver platter. They see the film, they see the trailer, they see the artwork. They don't have to sit and think about how they're going to market the film. You've basically done the heavy lifting for them, and all they have to do is is agree on how much they're going to give you as an advance in the terms of the deal, and then they can distribute the film. 
if they have to figure out for themselves how to market your film and they can't figure it out quickly, they're going to go on to the next next item. And for a lot of these distributors, every day the, the mailroom brings in a wheelbarrow full of DVDs that come from filmmakers all around the world seeking distribution. So they have a lot of choices uh, among which to choose. Wow. Yes, the competition is really stiff. Well, I noticed that you said before, no sneak previews. Don't show your film. Why is this? Well, because you want you want to show your film in a competitive environment. The best thing would be at a major film festival. Um, if, but if you if you don't get invited to Sundance or South by Southwest or one of the top, then maybe you want to hold a private screening at a theater in L.A. and maybe also in New York and invite all the distributors to come and see it at the same time so that you don't get into this dilemma of one distributor seeing it and making an offer that's a mediocre offer and you having the dilemma of whether to accept it or not, not knowing how the other distributors feel about your picture. So so it's very hard for a filmmaker to say no after they spent three years making the film, raising the money, mortgaging their house, and now they have a mediocre but not a great offer to turn it down unless they all have in the wings a, a, a competing offer as good or better, then they then they turn it down. So what we try to do is create the competition, get the film out to all the uh, buyers at the same time, and then we ask the filmmaker to decide, you know, let's say there's three different distributors who are interested in it, to tell us which one is their first choice, second choice, and third choice. And then we go to the third choice and say, thank you so much for your offer, you know, a, our client would love to work with you in the future, but we've received a number of offers, and, uh, and unfortunately we've decided not to accept yours. One of the other offers is better. Well, immediately the distributor says, well, wait wait a second. You haven't accepted the other offer. Can I, can I improve my offer? And they improve their offer. And now they're no longer number three. Now maybe they're number one or number two. And so you go to the new, the new number three, and you do the same thing. And you basically have to be really tough and, uh, you know, and somewhat ruthless in, in making these companies compete against each other if you want to get a good deal for the filmmaker. And you do this for filmmakers. You're right there yes. in the negotiations. Yes, we do this. Oh, marvelous. Oh, that would take so much strain off of the filmmaker. <clears throat> That's great. Well, at this point, tell me, well, how do people reach you? Because you give us your email and your phone number like uh, yeah, people can. The easiest way to probably to reach me is just to go to my website, Entertainment Law Resources, which is www.marklitwack.com, and you can email me from the website, or you could also just email me at mark m a r k at marklitwack.com. L i t w a k dot com. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So um, now. Let's say, do you, you've also talked about carefully creating a festival strategy. So could you give us uh, some advice on that? Well, what some filmmakers don't understand is that not all festivals are equal. Uh, there's thousands and thousands of film festivals, but there's really only a relative handful that, that are important if the reason to go to the film festival is to find dis- distribution, because there's really only a handful of film festivals that are attended by acquisition executives representing distributors looking for product. So the top film festivals all want to premiere. They want either the regional premiere, 
you know, or, or the world premiere, but they, what they want to premiere, they want to be able to show the best films first because this is what, in fact, attracts the distributors. And so it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. If you show the best films first, the distributors come. Um, if, if, you, if you don't, then, then they don't come. And, of course, if you have a lot of distributors, then you also become more valuable a festival in the eyes of filmmakers because that's where the filmmakers want their films shown. So if you made your film and you start submitting it, and a lot of people nowadays use a company called withoutabox.com to do festival submissions because they only basically have to fill out the form once and then they can, and they can choose which festivals and then that information is sent to all the festivals. Um, you have to understand that if you can't give the premiere, for instance, to Sundance, you can't be in the dramatic competition. If you apply to Sundance, but you, you previously let your film be shown at the Akron, Ohio Film Festival, and I have nothing against the Akron, Ohio Film Festival, but it's not one of the festivals attended by, by distributors, the major distributors and acquisition executives. And if it then disqualifies you from being in Sundance, that's not a really good move. It would be better for you to take your chances at one of the top festivals, see if you can get in, and whether you get in or not, the next year you can go to the Akron Film Festival because that's where your mom lives and you want to show it there. Um, so you need to understand which are the important film festivals you know, that can bootstrap your film you know, into a competitive environment and, and get you a good deal and not be in a minor film festival that disqualifies you from being in a major film festival. Exactly. That's great. Um, all right. So uh, it, what else can you, what advice can you give for filmmakers with uh, regard to selling their film? Once they're, uh, once they're blocked picture and once they think they uh, have it uh, in perfect shape and ready for distribution, um, what's the next thing that you would recommend they do? Well, um, I, I think it's a good idea to have a trailer, um, uh, a, a good trailer and, and good artwork, because I think it makes it easier to sell the film. The, the distributor isn't necessarily obligated to use the filmmaker's trailer or artwork, but if it's good, you know, then it, it can help you. And if you're sending out DVDs to, to distributors, I always put the trailer at the, at the very beginning of the DVD, so that they, you know, the most exciting, compelling parts of the film are shown first to keep the distributor's attention. You know, distributors um, don't always have, you know, the ability to completely focus on your film, and so that's why it's often better to screen the film at a festival or in a theater where there's no distractions, there's no cell phone calls interrupting them, there's no meetings interrupting them. If you if you send a copy of your film to a distributor and they're at their office and they start watching the first 10 minutes and then they get interrupted by a meeting and then they watch another 10 minutes and then they go to lunch and then they watch another 10 minutes and take a conference call. And at the end of the day, they, they come back to you and they say, well, it was a really good film, but, you know, it seemed kind of choppy, you know, incoherent. <laughs> well, you know, if you hadn't taken out 10 times to do other things while you're watching the film, it might have seemed more cohesive. So that's why it's best to get up, get up, get the executives away from those distractions, get them in a dark theater, uh, hopefully surrounded by audience members who love your film. And if it's a comedy, they're laughing, you know, their heads off. Um, and that can definitely influence, you know, uh, how much the distributor wants your film. I mean, it's sometimes said of executives, you know, that, 
they're the type of people, you tell them a joke, they look at to see if, if anyone else is laughing before they decide whether it's funny. <laughs> and and so clearly, if they're surrounded by people, if if you show your film at Sundance, first of all, just getting into Sundance is a big feather in your cap. And at the end of your film, you get a 10-minute standing ovation. I can guarantee you there's going to be competition for that film because they're going to see that audience is really like and embrace this film. And, you know, what's a good film and what's not a good film is somewhat subjective, and, and distributors make mistakes all the time. If they if they always knew what was going to work, they would never release films that don't work. And, in fact, most films are not particularly successful. Many of them, you know, don't make their money back. It's a relative handful of films that become blockbuster uh, hits. So, you know, you have to understand the dynamics in, in the movie business. And, and also... Uh, a lot of distributors are not risk takers and 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 they often make decisions on what about what worked in the past instead of what will work in the future so george lucas had a really hard time selling star wars because the conventional wisdom at the time was that science fiction doesn't sell audiences aren't interested in science fiction well of course star wars was released by fox it was a, was a huge hit and within weeks, every studio in town was developing science fiction stories. You know, the same thing happened with religious uh, pictures. And Mel Gibson made a film, and all these church congregations you know, contracted with buses to take them to the film, and it made a lot of money. And now you have a whole bunch of faith-based divisions of different distributors looking for that type of product. So it's sometimes set of distributors, they're driving down the highway 90 miles an hour, with their, with their eyes firmly on the rearview mirror. In other words, they're steering <laughs> and deciding where to go in the future based upon what happened in the past. Well, the, the, the yeah. reality is movies are a different type of product. People don't want to go to the same movie again and again. And movies that are very derivative are usually not successful. When people go to the movies, they like stuff that's fresh and original. They've been, they're taken somewhere they haven't been before, and that's what really excites them. And so... You know, you need to take risks in the movie business. You need to make something different and original. But frankly, that often scares uh, the hell out of out of a lot of distribution executives because it is so different, and there's nothing to look at. You know, in the past, that that would indicate that this movie is going to be successful. But but that's why movies are different than a lot of other products. You know, a lot of products. When people find a product they like, they'll keep buying the same product again and again and again. I, for instance, like ivory soap, plain white soap. I've been probably using it for 30 years. And when I hop in the shower and take off the wrapper on a new bar of soap, I have very modest expectations. As long as it performs exactly the same way it has in the past 30 years, I'm okay with it, and I'll continue to use it. But when I go to the movies, if I see something that's just like a movie I saw three weeks ago, I'm pretty disappointed, even if I like the movie I saw three weeks ago. I always want something that's fresh and original and different. And and so this is a challenge, you know, to filmmakers and a challenge in getting distribution because a lot of the distributors are very concerned if they acquire a film and it loses money, they could lose their job. Absolutely. Every job, every uh, film that they acquire is very important to their position. Every one. Yep. It never, never changes. Well, I, I want to comment on your book, Deal Making in the Film and Television Industry. This is really a brilliant book, Mark, and we all thank you for that. There's so much great information in there, and there's a tremendous amount of information on your website at Mark Litwack, 
com, right? Yes. Okay. And your blogs are, are greatly appreciated. You really uh, give us, you share the information that you've learned from being in the trenches all these years with filmmakers, and it's greatly appreciated. So in parting, have you anything special you'd like to say to filmmakers? Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm always impressed with some of the films that I see, you know, often coming out of nowhere. Um, the, the great thing about the movie business is that it's inherently democratic, um, and especially nowadays where the cost of making the movies has gone down dramatically. In, in the old days, you know, not that long ago, you usually had to raise at least $100,000 to make a movie just to pay for the celluloid film stock and the processing. Um, and nowadays, you know, you can buy a camera for a couple thousand dollars. There, there's, in fact, people who are making movies on their iPhones. Um, and you can buy, you know, a version of Final Cut Pro or some other editing software, and you can edit a film you know, on a laptop. And so the barriers to entry in the film business have really gone down dramatically. If you have talent, you know, and you're dedicated, um, not having a huge amount of money is not going to necessarily stop you from, from making the film because the cost of, of production, you know, has, has come down. Now you still probably need to get actors, but, you know, here in L.A. it's not hard to get actors, you know, to attract them to work for next to nothing. And usually, you know, you can beg, borrow, and steal. And I've seen some amazing films made for very little money. And there's no real correlation between the amount of money spent on the film and how successful it, is, it will be. There was a movie that came out a few years ago called Paranormal Activity that was reportedly made for $15,000, and it did $100 million at the box office. And, and um, you know, that, that is a surprise, especially since I didn't, I didn't much care for it. But, but you know, when people go to the theaters, they don't look at the budget of the film. They don't sit there and say, oh, look at budget line number 39. They, they don't care what the movie costs. They care whether they're entertained or not. So you need to make something that's entertaining, that people find interesting, you know. And if you do that, then, then there, there's no limit to the possibilities. In a lot of other industries, it's very, very difficult to compete against the established companies. If you wanted to go into the oil business nowadays, it would be very, very difficult and expensive because all the best oil fields have already been bought up by Exxon and Mobile and all those big companies, and the barriers to entry would be tremendous. But when you're dealing with films, the basic commodity is stories and ideas, and, and, and no matter how much the major studios try to monopolize this commodity, they can't. And often it's some independent filmmaker from out in the middle of nowhere who comes up with a great idea and makes a compelling movie. And when it's released, there's lines down the block at the theater for people wanting to see it. At the same time, the movie that was made for $100 million from a major studio is being exhibited to a theater with mostly empty seats. So it's, it's a very exciting business where basically if you have really you know, good ideas and can tell a good story, there's a tr tremendous amount of uh, potential. Absolutely right. It's the creativity that's that's at stake right. here, and using that creativity, and they really have to continue to use it. They have to use it to fund their film, to make the film, to fund the film, and then, from what we've learned today, they've got to use that creativity in distributing it. And they can't get so anxious once they've finished it that they uh, that they don't do the distribution part properly. That's the most important thing, right? Absolutely. 
Yes. Don't don't say I'm finished. I'm out of here. I'm through now. Who's it? Where's the distributor? Just give me a contract. No, then you that's another whole section of the production that you have to deal with, and that's probably one of the most important ones financially. It is right. Um, if you can, you know, get good distribution and you can repay your investors, is a very good chance you'll get a chance to make another movie. And if you don't, you may not be able to make another movie. So it's extremely important. Um, even though a lot of filmmakers are not particularly interested in the mechanics of distribution, they have to either either figure out how to do this or take someone on their team who understands it, who can advise them. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mark. We really appreciate it. Best of luck. You're very welcome. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Very kind of you to share thank with you, us Claire. today. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. All right. Be well, everyone. Okay. okay. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.